0: One of the smartest and nicest guys in the fantasy baseball business, Jeff Erickson of Rotowire.com, next on Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Robinson waits. Here comes the pitch. And there goes a line drive to left field. He Swan after it. He leaps it over his head against the wall. Here comes Gillian Stewart. Hands eight, feet close together. Larson is ready. Gets the sign. Two strikes, ball one. Here comes the pitch. Strike three.
0: He levels the bat a couple of times, shall kicks, and he fires. Rose Wayne. There it is, there it is. Get
1: out. Get out. All right. It's number 4192.
0: A line drive single into left center. Swung on and hit in the air to deep center. Finley back, away oh, back, on the track, at the wall. Gone. A three-run home run for Scott Roses. Scott Rosh's
1: might well be the left-handers wide. The O-2 pitch on the way. Strike! it's over. He has done it. High fastball! Randy Johnson being mobbed by Scott Bradley. Down to
2: greet him and the entire Mariner team.
1: Here on the 2nd of June. It ends at 9:51 end
3: Pacific Daylight
4: Time. Learn to play the winner's way. Cause baseball HQ Radio starts. Right now! And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of April the 28th, and show number 15 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to Jeff Erickson of Rotowire.com, we'll have our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our National League Analyst is Harold Nichols. Our American League Analyst, columnist Matt Beagle, also our Market Pulse commentator this week, talking about looking forward, not back. In our regular Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon looks at Miami right-handed pitching prospect Jose Fernandez. And in his Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talks about making the trade process more efficient in just 5 to 10 minutes. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We had a perfect game. we got to talk some baseball. And to open our show, as always, our League Watch News reports. Matt Beagle is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's the National League and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Thanks a lot, Patrick.
0: Nick, let's start in Milwaukee where Chris Narvison, the left-hander, went on the 15-day DL. Marco Estrada looks like he gets the job in the rotation in Milwaukee. And some of the analysts at BaseballHQ.com really like Marco Estrada.
1: Yeah, we like Marco Estrada a lot, a lot at Baseball HQ. You know, here's a guy, if you look at his, his performance last year, his ERA cut kind of right around four Seems like, well, this is just a, another relief pitcher got thrown into the fray every once in a while. But Marco Estrada pitched really well as a starter last year, much better, actually, as a starter than he did in relief. And um, if you look at it, say seven spot stars during the year, six were PQS dominant. So uh, we, that that is a, a figure that we look at very closely. If you look at his expected ERA last year, was was excellent. Uh, we had, in the baseball, the forecaster... Uh, projected a possible 15 wins at a 3.5 ERA. Uh, here's a guy who strikes out a lot of batters, uh, very dominant, good control. Uh, his one his one kind of ward is he does give up some home runs, and so you need to watch him if you were to pick him up. You need to watch him at home run ballparks, but uh, especially at home, he could be very, very effective in the rotation. Current stats are are, are wonderful: 2.45 ERA, 13.1 Dom, uh, xERA of 2.23. Certainly, someone to look at in your league and someone who's may be available in a lot of leagues and likely to be overlooked initially.
0: Yeah, this is the kind of guy, all those strikeouts, the home runs should take care of themselves over time, don't you think? And the strikeouts just make him very, very attractive.
1: Yeah, I would think so. And and a a guy who gets a good deal, you know, gets some ground balls. And uh, uh, right now the one, if you look at a 22% home run per fly rate, that's going to come down. And even then he's got a 2.23 XERA. So uh, someone definitely to look at.
0: In Atlanta, Tim Hudson was very good in his final rehab start earlier in the week at Gwinnett in A. One run, four strikeouts, and a little more than five innings. He's going to join the rotation Sunday versus the Pirates. <laughs> That's a pretty good way to start your return against the light-hitting Pirates. Uh, how do we like Tim Hudson for the rest of this year?
1: We like Tim Hudson a lot for the rest of this year, if he can stay healthy. I mean, here's a guy with a, with an F health grade who's had some problems. But uh, coming back from TJ surgery two full years back, uh, ERA of 2.83 his first year back from Tommy John surgery. ERA of 3.22 a year ago. Uh, Tim Hudson has been pitching very, very well since his TJ surgery. and If you look at what he's done, he's sort of reinvented himself. He's, he's relying less on his fastball, more on a sinker. Uh, with a guy with a 60% uh, ground ball rate, a sinker is a, a very good pitch. And it, He's got to keep getting those ground balls and should do very, very well. I mean, here's a guy who could really be a top starter in the NL and make it overlooked because of his injury history and because of his age.
0: Boy, and you look at Tim Hudson's track record, uh, Nick, over, over the years, just so consistent, the skills control rate uh, always less than three walks per nine except for a couple of years in the mid-2000s. Strikeout rate not tremendous, but usually uh, slightly above that 6.0 that we're looking for. As a result, uh, command ratio Always over 2.0 strikeouts per walk, which is what we're looking for. And he never gives up home runs, high ground balls. This this guy's got everything you want.
1: Very definitely. A very solid, consistent kind of pitcher. So if he can stay healthy, should do extremely well.
0: Uh, Hudson's former stable mate with the Oakland A's, Barry Zito, became something of a walking joke, Nick, after he signed a, a big, huge contract. He's off to a tremendously hot start, and Stephen Nick Rand, our starting pitching buyer's guide columnist, says this is a time to look at selling Barry Zito high.
1: Yeah, very definitely. You, you want to sell Barry Zito right now. I mean, here's a guy who's off to a tremendous start, 1.67 ERA and four starts, uh, pitching extremely well, a whip of 0.93, if you can believe it. I mean, he looks like uh, someone who's returned to his former self, but if you look beyond all of those stats, uh, he's he's not the same pitcher he used to be. I mean, here's a guy with a DOM rate right now of 4.27. Uh, good command, but getting a lot of help. A 91% strand rate, a 20% hit rate. So uh, a lot of luck on his side at the moment, and very uh, very definitely the same kind of pitcher that he's been the last uh, the last few years. And those last few years have not been good. Last seven last year a 5.87 ERA. Uh, The previous two years, right around four in 2008, an ERA over five. Uh, He hasn't seen an ERA below four since 2006. So uh, Barry Zito and and that Dom rate, if you you go back to when Barry Zito was a really good pitcher, he was striking out seven guys for nine innings. And that that Dom rate has slowly been dropping down to the point where we're this year at 4.7. So... Not not a new pitcher. This is the same guy that uh, has been struggling the last few years. He's off to a very good start, and if you've got him, now is a good time to convince somebody he's returned to his former self and get rid of him. And if you
0: want to make an argument in his favor, he's really turned around his command ratio as well. He's not walking anybody, even though he's very, his DOM rate is way low at 4.7, as you mentioned. His control rate of two walks per nine it leaves him with a pretty good command ratio, so you can maybe use that as a selling point. Uh, how likely is it that anybody who's been around the block a few times is going to take a serious look at Barry Zito?
1: Well, I would hope not, but you may have a new guy in your league who doesn't know any better, so uh, it's, it's worth a shot.
0: I guess so. Uh, there's always a sheep waiting to be sheared somewhere, I guess. Uh, and finally, staying in San Francisco, Nate Shearholz, the outfielder, has been gaining some playing time because Aubrey Huff has gone on the DL with, of all things, anxiety disorder. So I guess the question is, Nate Shearholz has never been a terrific fantasy player. Is he going to be any better, even though he gets some uh, additional playing time?
1: Well, you know, I think it's all about playing time with Nate Shearholz. Uh, yeah, you're right, he's never been a terrific fantasy player, but he's not that bad either. And in the second half last year, he picked up his uh, his power. Uh, looked like we, we gave him in the forecaster an upside of 20 home runs, if he can get the playing time. So I think it's really all about playing time with sure holes. Here's a guy with 20 home run potentials, going to bat around 280, 290 for the season. Uh, could be worth you know, $13, $14, $15 in terms of, of fantasy bucks. Um, the question is will he get the playing time, and that's a hard one to project. We've we've increased his playing time percentage from 50 to 60 over the past couple of days. He's been starting regularly out, out there in San Francisco, with 11 of the past 13 games I think he's gotten to start. Um, and when, when Aubrey Huff comes back, Huff has been alternating between first base and the outfield. But the first base situation in San Francisco is a mess. You've got uh, you've got two guys, uh, Brett Pill and Brandon Belt, neither of whom are playing very well. And you may have to wind up with Huff playing primarily first base to shore that up. If that happens, Shearholz could get almost full time at bats in the outfield. So really, it's all about playing time. We're not seeing a new player with Nate Shearholz. Uh We're seeing a guy who's been, been reasonably consistent, but who has the power to hit 18, 20 home runs, bat around two eighty, two ninety, 290, and if he's in the lineup, that may be something that could be helpful in some fantasy leagues.
0: Yeah, I'm not seeing the 20 home run projection, uh, Nick. Uh, I'm just looking at his past uh, record, and usually he's up in the f- sort of 5, 6 home runs through 300 at-bats or thereabouts. He had 9 in 2011, but that was in 335 at-bats, so if you prorate that out, it's, it's really hard to see this guy all of a sudden jumping up into 20 home run territory. It seems... Uh, well, maybe a little bit on the wishful thinking side. Really, it looks more like full-time at-bats. This guy's going to be 14-15 at best. I, I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, maybe so. The thing that, that we based that on, I think, would be a second half last year where he did show a, a, an improved PX. Uh, he's 28 years old, so at a time when he uh, could begin to get to a little bit of a of an improvement in power. And his XPX said it could have been even better in the second half. So that's what would give us some some kind of hope, I think.
0: Yeah, but small sample size warnings abound. Uh, Nick, thanks very much for doing this. We'll catch up with you again in one week. All right. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Harold Nichols is the director of skills analysis at BaseballHQ.com and our National League newsman here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's move to the American League and BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle. Matt, welcome back to the show.
2: A perfect week, Patrick, for Philip Umber.
0: It was indeed. Phil Umber throws the perfect game April 21st against Seattle, not exactly the strongest team in the world, but uh, what do you make of Phil Umber? Does the fact that he throws a perfect game make him any more rosterable in fantasy terms?
2: Well, I think we would maintain he was rosterable from the beginning in most formats. The average fan would look at his first half last year of 289 ERA, 0.97 whip, and say, this is a guy who's... Great, but really faded in the second half, Where his ERA was just over 5. His whip was 148. If you look at his hit rate, it was 36% in the second half. So his expected ERA was actually lower in the second half at 3.49. He increased his dominance by striking out 2.2 more batters per nine innings than he did in the first half. So Humber's command in the second half, 3.2. This is an excellent skilled pitcher who was much better in the second half despite his ERA and WHIP that you'd see on the surface. So we had him pegged as a sleeper coming in that he really did have skills. We saw a nice command ratio overall for the year. His strikeout rate was over 6 batters per 9 innings. So Humber was certainly not a top guy but a guy that we thought could maintain his skills. His expected ERA was 3.70, fully supporting his 3.75 he had in 2011.
0: This could be a case, though, Matt, also of looking at a very small sample size that includes a perfect game and makes his overall line for the year so far look pretty good, a 063 ERA, an 063 whip, and 10 strikeouts per nine innings, mostly because of all the guys he struck out in uh, Seattle. So uh, this is not a guy to run out and trade uh, Justin Verlander for.
2: No, he's certainly not going to keep up this pace, but he's a usable pitcher. Again, what we saw last year is about what we should expect this year, 375 ERA, A whip around 1.2, maybe a little higher. Um, This is a solid pitcher. 47% ground ball rate gives him a good chance to be effective in U.S. cellular field.
0: He's had that 50% ground ball rate for the last four years, 2008 through 2011. Not quite 50, but in the very high 40s and 50% in 08. Oddly enough, a lot of fly balls this year so far, but Umber looks like an okay guy all the way around. Uh, Marlon Bird has been an okay guy in Chicago for the last few years, notwithstanding some injuries. Bit of a surprise that he was traded to Boston, kind of helps out the Red Sox with their outfield situation, pending the return of Crawford and Ellsbury and so on. Uh, is Marlon Bird a guy to target in an AL only?
2: Well, in an A only, certainly, if you need batting average help, that's really the only skill he's going to bring to the table. He's very consistently been in the 275 to 280 range, both in his batting average and expected batting average. We've seen his batting average spike higher, but that's been not supported by the XBA. So, what you're looking for, mid 270s, 280 type hitter, his walk rate has declined the last four years. It was 10% in 2008, but only 6% or lower the last three seasons. His fly ball rate's declining, his power's declining. He's never really stolen much bags in the past few years. Uh, You may see a little batting average potential here in Boston with the Green Monster there. Batting average is 9% higher for right-handed batters compared to Wrigley Field, which is pretty much average for right-handed batters. So you could have some little upside to hit that 280. but in an AL only league, the question you asked, this guy's going to get at bats. He's going to score runs in that lineup. He's going to help your batting average and and get counting stats. This is a a playing time move, not really someone who's going to puts you over the top with incredible power or stolen base surprises
0: but as a playing time move he also carries some injury risk he's had years where he was lucky to barely clear 200 at bats Uh, he was down around 450 last year in chicago he did have a couple of near 600 years before that that that's a concern though isn't it the uh, the whole likelihood of playing time being somewhat limited because of his brittle injury past and his age
2: His injury past his age and the return of Jacoby Ellsbury when he does come back, assuming he's healthy. He's not out for the year, so when Ellsbury comes back, he's going to get a lot of at-bats, and then it's going to become a crowded outfield situation as the Red Sox makes move to address their current shortage. It's going to create an excess when everyone's healthy in the second half of the season.
0: And of course, Carl Crawford will be coming back as well sometime down the line. Uh, Michael Pineda, the uh, Yankees pitcher whom they acquired in the offseason for Jesus Montero, will not be back this year. It turns out he's got a torn labrum in his pitching shoulder. He's done for the year. This seems to give Freddie Garcia a second chance despite his slow start. Is his second chance our second chance?
2: It actually is. It seems weird to recommend a pitcher with a 9.75 ERA that probably most everyone has cut knowing that Andy Pettit was coming back soon, and they just assume he's washed up. But we did talk about him a couple weeks ago. His skills are still okay. He strikes out 5.9 batters per inning. He has good control, not walking 3 batters per innings. He's not a great pitcher, but he probably can get you an ERA just under 5. His expected ERA this far is 4.36. So he's actually better this year pitching, believe it or not, than he has been last year. What's the culprit? Of course, the 41% hit rate and a very low 48% strand. Now, these are very tiny sample sizes, but it does illustrate the magnitude of ERAs and the other factors this early in the season. The point is Garcia is not a 975 ERA pitcher. He's half that. You know, his ERA is going to be in the 485 range or something like that which in many leagues is usable when you have the Yankees' offense behind you.
0: Yeah, and his whip is very high, too, because of that uh, incredibly high hit percentage, although he's holding the line on walks pretty well, as he always has.
2: Yeah, he's a good control pitcher. His ground ball rate is decreasing, which is a danger sign. Again, this isn't a guy who's going to become a superstar and have a 3.28 ERA again and carry your team. This is a guy that if you're in a deep league or an AL-only league and you need a guy to put in there to get you a couple wins and won't absolutely kill you, the damage probably has been done. The luck has been totally against him. So he's a guy you could pick up on the cheap because most managers have gotten tired of him and cut him and he's on your waiver wire. If there's nothing else better, he's someone who is an alternative out there. Uh, and someone who you can't judge him by the current ERA, you have to look at what his skills say, and they say the ERA is going to be in the four and a half to five range.
0: Russell Martin of the Yankees, who's going to be doing some catching for Freddy Garcia, used to be a really good power-speed combination guy. in 07, Matt, 19 homers, 21 stolen bases. He batted 293 and was a mid-$20 type of player last year. Didn't steal quite so many, but he still hit 18 home runs. And I guess the question is, is there any chance that he's going to be that useful again, even, even a repeat of last year?
2: I think he could repeat last year's power, but he's never going to steal bases again. His speed... Rating is down to 47 in 2011, but his power index bounced back over to 105, which is 5% more than league average, so he did post the 18 homers. In that ballpark, in that lineup, uh, he can certainly duplicate his home run numbers. Where the profit lies with Martin is his batting average. He only hit 237 in 2011, but that was a result of a 25% hit rate. His expected batting average was 269, so not only can Martin hit you 18 homers, but he can provide some batting average help or at least not be a hindrance because of his low hit rate in the past and the fact that he's got a contact rate over 80% his whole career. It is declining slightly, and he also has a good walk rate, so if you have on-base as a category, uh, he does help you in that category as well
0: only hitting 182 so far this year, but that's partly the result of a 64% ground ball rate. That should normalize closer up to his uh, career standard, which has been f- always right around 50. He's been a good, solid 20% line drive guy. So I guess when you combine all that, he's a relatively low fly ball guy, Matt. Does that concern you as far as his power production is uh, concerned? Yeah,
2: I think 18, 19 is, is, is going to be his peak production. He may more likely fall in the 15 home run range um, but that batting average upside is the thing I like here with Martin.
0: In Baltimore, they're off to a fairly surprising start in what has turned out to be, so far at least, a very tight American League East race. Nolan Reimold got stuck into the leadoff role, and before he missed a few games with a minor injury, he was off to a very hot start with five home runs, 10 RBIs, a bag, and he's hitting three seventy. We don't expect three seventy the rest of the year, but what do we expect?
2: Well, we expect low average and good power his power index was 125 in 2011 he's a 41 fly ball rate and that fly ball rate is growing so he is learning how to drive the ball but that's coming at the expense of his contact rate it was only 73 percent in 2011 so he's going to strike out right now he's got you know the benefit of this small sample size a very high hit rate a very high power index um, but I think that this is a guy who's going to be more of a 20 homer uh, 250 type hitter as opposed to someone who's going to keep going at this high rate that he's showed so far. One of the big questions to watch with him is to see what his walk rate is because he's been a very patient hitter at the plate, and so far this year he's only has one walk in his first 46 at bats. So he's not brought that plate patience with him during this hot streak. Now maybe he's one of those guys when he gets hot and he swings a lot because he's seeing a ball the size of a beach ball, and when he's struggling he decides to start taking the walks and be patient to get him out of his slump. That could very well be the case. But right now, we're not seeing anything that's improved in his skills. We see a high power, low average skill set uh, that's just repeating itself and being skewed by a small sample size.
0: Do you think he's a sell high type candidate at 370? Absolutely. Also in Baltimore, Robert Andino has been uh, getting a lot of playing time because of Brian Roberts' injuries and, and other circumstances around their infield. Um, Robert Andino, worth a, a roster spot?
2: Yeah, this guy's pretty versatile. Like, more in an al only league probably than a mixed league because he, again, doesn't do anything incredibly well, sort of like Marlon Burby talked about earlier, but he qualifies at second, third, and short in most leagues. His contact rate is solid around league average in the low 80s. Uh, his hit percentage has kept his batting average down in the past, but he could hit 260, 250. He's got a little bit of pop in the bat. His power index is, you know, 60 to 80, not going to be a big home run guy. But his speed has always been average or above, so he's going to steal you a dozen bases. This is the kind of guy in AL leagues that you really can round out your roster and give you that extra little push that you need because he's getting the playing time. Brian Roberts is always an injury risk, and Dino can play anywhere in the infield, so once Roberts comes back, Andino can just shift where he's needed. Um, So here's another batting average, uh, rack up some counting stats, steal you a few bags type of guy.
0: One of those guys who usually goes for a dollar or two in the end game, and so far this year he's been worth around nine or ten dollars, which is exactly what he was worth last year as well and Boy, if you'd have gone into two thousand and eleven Matt saying, uh, "Who here thinks Robert Andino's going to be worth ten bucks, uh, you wouldn't have had many takers, but uh, whoever did invest a dollar got a nice thousand uh, percent return It
2: shows you the value of playing time when you 're in a l or n l only league you got to get those guys who will rack up the counting stats, contribute a few steals, and not hurt your batting average.
0: And we've been talking so much about the American League East. We're going to stay there. Uh, B.J. Upton, back in the lineup in Tampa Bay. What should we expect from uh, Bossman Jr.?
2: Well, he is so young still that we, we still have a good, nice data set. He's going to hit around 250. He's going to hit you 20 homers, steal 35 or 40 bags. Uh, very consistent, nice walk rate if you're on base league, 11%. His eye has actually risen the last three years, but he's got a low contact rate at 71%, so he's never going to be a high average guy, but it could be some upside. I think that the answer here may lie outside the statistics and the fact this is his contract year, and this is his big chance. He's in the prime of his career to get his big payday, and if one of the questions in the past was his motivation, nothing motivates an athlete like this in his contract year more than the big contract coming up. So I think he's going to be very motivated to try to steal more bases, be in the lineup more often when he is healthy, and drive the ball to ratchet up those numbers for his offseason negotiations.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of research about this, and I don't know that there's ever been a connection proved between a guy in his contract year and any kind of surge or improvement in his performance. But I guess we shall see. We'll have your Market Pulse commentary a little later in the show, Matt, and then we'll have you back again next week. We'll talk some more about the American League players.
2: Can't wait, Patrick.
0: Matt Beagle is a columnist at BaseballHQ.com and our American League commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our feature interview with Jeff Erickson of Rotowire.com and SiriusXM is next. This is Baseball HQ Radio. There's a drive to right field indeed. Fred's going back, away back. It's gone. Home run Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick David here. My pleasure now to be joined by Jeff Erickson of rotowire.com and SiriusXM Satellite Radio, one of the hardest working guys in the fantasy baseball business. Jeff, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Good to be back. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing good. It's been too long.
5: Indeed, indeed. But, you know, hey, it's just you know, one of the things about this industry that's so amazing is there's so many good people to talk to now these days. You know, you see it every year, first pitch Arizona, just the wealth and breadth of information that we can get from so many different sources.
0: Exactly right. Uh, Before we start in on this season's surprise starts, for good or for bad in uh, Big League Baseball. I'd like to ask you about Tout Wars. You were the auctioneer for the mixed league. I was a participant for the first time. And I've got to say, it was the fastest draft I've ever been in by an uh, order of magnitude. I think we auctioned 345 players because it was a no-keeper draft. Then we reserved snake, drafted 60 more guys, and the whole thing took less than four hours. As, a, as an auctioneer, what's your philosophy to keep things moving so quickly? Well, you
5: know, the thing is, uh, it's a motivated crowd. Uh, it's a Saturday afternoon. Typically, they want to get it. It, it. You know, it, it helps that the the touts themselves want to get done pretty quickly. So, you know, I kind of gotta go with that flow with the crowd too. I mean, if they wanted to spend more time wisecracking, if they wanted to spend more time talking things out, you know, if like they needed time to, needed a break, I'd give it. You know, it's, it's cool. But you know, usually it's Saturday night in New York City. People want to get out and do their thing too. So. um, I just and, and I, I generally believe. Hey, we're all experts here, right? It's not like we need to look up who is that player, especially for a fifteen-team mixed league. There aren't going to be any surprises. There's not going to be like a scramble to find out who that guy is or figure out know, what I need to do. We all have an idea of the player pool. The idea before is everyone here has done the prep work. Uh, everyone knows what these guys can do, how, and they should have an idea of how they should fit into that guy's roster. You know, every t- once in a while you need some time to nominate a guy. That's cool, but uh, you know, I, I try just to just keep it moving, and if I just feel like it's a, a crisp auction is a better reflection, too, because everyone you know doesn't have to have that extra second thought to think about it. They don't want really get snaked. Just keep it rolling, and if people want to put on the brakes, that's fine, too. But uh, I, I feel like, especially in a league where everyone's so well-prepared, it's a, better, it's, a, it's a better result, a better true result if we do a quick
0: auction. And I have to say, it's just more fun. I was in another draft a week later, and uh, it was like every 30 minutes we had 10 minutes smoke break, bathroom break, beer break, and we ended up auctioning maybe a third as many guys as we did at Tout, and it ended up taking six and a half hours. And, you know, at that point, nothing's fun when it's going on for six and a half hours. Springsteen concert, you know...
5: I had a home league. I started a new home league this year. And it's a fun, it's, it's a good group of guys. And I, the thing is, is uh, my daughter's friend's parents, like their, their fathers, they were like, oh, you do that for a league? Oh, you got to get in our league. And I'm like, yeah. And the thing is, all my, you know, except for tout, except in this year, labor, where I went to labor, you know, all my drafts are on the phone or they're on an the, on, on online draft. You know, this is finally I got a chance to do one in person. I'll tell you what, it's, you know, it, a draft is so much more fun. But we did an 11-team mix league, and it took six-plus hours. And it was a draft. It wasn't even an auction. And, then, you know, it's like, you know, guys nominating guys that are taking four rounds together, things like that. It's just, it, it was really, that aspect's aggravating. But then again, you get a lot of BSing with each other, and you have that aspect of it. You know, with Tal Wars, you can still do that, and you can see, you know, during the Tout Wars auction, you can still rag on each other. And we do that a little bit more in the AL version, I think, because we're just so familiar with each other at this point in time. But, you know, it's like different structure, different folks. We like a good, crisp auction.
0: But staying with Tout Wars, uh, Jeff, how did your own draft go as an owner, and how, how's your team doing so far?
5: Well, there's a pretty strong disconnect between how my team is doing right now and how I felt coming out of the auction, and it's not good. Uh, you know, Matt Moore doesn't have a win yet. Dan Heron doesn't have a win yet. Uh, Robbie Canoga after the start he did I I went with more you know for for whatever reason this year I felt there was more value in trying a I wouldn't say stars and scrubs approach but I did go a little bit more heavy you know I I did go like more where I spent more on some of the elite players and I went a little less balanced and some of the guys that I was kind of hoping that would provide some bargains at the end of the draft haven't provided so yet so you know I, I see the talent in this team but it's not doing well right now um, and it's the danger in such an approach, too. It's why, you know, the Jason Grays that I do so well in this league typically is because they have that balanced roster. They can withstand a few slumps. Right now I'm in and It's not looking good. I, I might be going back to a, a compile more at-bat strategy in the, in the near future. A couple of the guys that I branched out on, you know, I thought that, hey, you know, this could really work out, haven't worked out so far. So we'll see. I mean, again, though, what are we talking about, three weeks into the season? It's not, I'm not quite ready to jump the team either.
0: Yeah, I drafted Cano in the tout mixed as well as Albert Pujols for big money using a similar strategy because I thought, you know, the $1 outfielders are going to all be pretty much starters in such a shallow league. And here's Pujols with no home runs. Cano's hitting 215 or whatever it was the last time I checked. And you do have to just hang on because you know that Albert Pujols is not going to hit zero home runs for the year, and and Robbie Cano is not going to hit two fifteen for the year. That you know at some point there's going to be a big eruption, and hopefully it's not too far uh, along. Because the one thing I do worry about with guys like this is the counting stats. I mean, time is the clock is ticking all the time, and if you have three weeks without a home run, even if you if Pujols immediately starts hitting home runs at his usual career weekly pace he's still going to finish short of what i was kind of hoping for he needs a couple of big weeks to overcome this slow start
5: yeah but the thing is they're not linear i mean no one ever goes at a weekly pace they have their ebbs and flows they have their fits and starts right i you know the, the difference is that this is the longest draft pools has ever had which follows last year's longest draft that he ever had I, i'm more surprised frankly at cano than i am pools but in, in both cases i'm not horribly concerned you know pools maybe a smidge more but uh you know It's yeah. I do. There'll be a surge coming on, and when when there is a surge, he's going to go. You know, he's going to go crazier than his average production. I don't know if he makes it up. He probably won't make up the stagger, but you know, he'll get you still. You know, ninety percent of the the value that you probably expected, which won't necessarily carry. Here's the thing: when I decided to go with the, uh, the star heavy approach. I found, at least I found in past years, that these elite players do go a few dollars under price than they do in your typical home league and, and typically tell us how we value them. Now, granted, it's a riskier strategy to go out that way, but this is also a win-only league. I mean, yeah, sure, we can get penalized for fab money at the end of the day if we finish really awfully like I'm, I'm on pace to do right now. But, you know, it's, you know it, the only thing that people do truly remember is if you win this league. And so you try to find a strategy you think that can win. And, you know, I, I hasn't worked out so far, but, you know, it's the type of strategy that has a little high variance and it might have a high payoff later on down the road,
0: too. When I went into it, one of my thought processes was I want to try out this strategy because if it pans out and does well, then I've got something to write about for everybody that, that's in my audience. And so, it's of course, it's nice to win, but it's also kind of a laboratory in a way, too, especially for a first-time player. We've been talking about this the idea of patience. The last couple of editions of Baseball HQ Radio on our website. A lot of talk about you got to be willing to exercise that patience. But Jeff, when do you think you do have enough information about your team to start making moves and managing effectively?
5: Oh, you can start making moves now. Uh, I've made trades already in April, and I, you know, I, I don't. I, I, I want to try to emphasize you don't want to be dogmatic. In some leagues, it, you know, it, may, it, it pays to exercise what uh, your, your uh, colleague Ron Shannon says, exercise excruciating patience. Now that, and in many leagues, that's the play. In other leagues, you need to jump right away quickly to get the breakout guys. Say you're playing in a 12-team mixed league. You, you know, the next Jose Bautista has a massive April. If you don't act quickly, you're not going to get them. You can't play the, well, I don't know if it's going to work out. You know, you have to you have to jump on it. Now, the tough part about that I, isn't the taking the chances on the breakout guys. To me, for me, the tough part is who do you decide to, pe- to part ways with? I, I think that's the tougher decision sometimes.
0: And how do you make that decision? How long into the season are you comfortable making that decision?
5: <sighs> uh, you have to make it right away, and that, it's, uh, I'm not comfortable. I'm never comfortable. Uh, I think that's the problem. I mean, you just sometimes it's injuries. Sometimes it's you know it's a cost of acquisition. Say, for instance, like we'll go to this uh, theoretical 12-team mix league again. You know, it's the bottom guys that you draft in the first place, so they, you know, they're going to remain pretty fluid, especially, like, I play in one league, it's full of experts, but it's a daily, it's a daily moves league. It's a it's a 13-team mixer uh, where we have an innings cap in it. We, there's a couple of nuances to it. And, you know, in this one, if you're not aggressive, you're going to be left by the wayside. So you're going to make some mistakes along the way, too. You, have, you can't be afraid to make a mistake. You can't be paralyzed by the fear. You know, sometimes... You know, it's it's like anything else. The more you know, the more decisions you make. If you're better at making these decisions, you're sure you're going to, have to make some errors. But the more decisions you make, the better it's going to pay off. And you're trying to force your opponents to make more decisions too. You know, you offer more trades. You you know, you you, you turn some of that bottom the bottom quarter of your roster. You're not afraid of it. Then you turn into AL towers. It's completely different. You know, you just have to. The, the, the replacement pool is so meager that you just have to be patient. You just have to hope some of you guys write it out. You, you, if you drafted on one way and you came into the draft knowing that, say, you're going to be weak in says, I, I did not invest in closers at the draft table. Well, that means they have to be aggressive on the, the closer market for fab. Uh, and, you know, a closer emergency, you have to go get them. I mean, because you, you get a full season worth of production out of them.
0: Exactly right. Patrick Davitt here at Baseball HQ Radio with Jeff Erickson of com and SiriusXM Satellite Radio. Jeff, let's move on to some of the unusual starts we've seen this year. We touched on Pujols and Cano, but first of all, in general, how much weight do you attach to a really hot start or a very cold start, for that matter, by any particular player? Well, I, you try to look down,
5: deep down a little bit what's driving it, if you can. Um, <laughs> Pujols, I... I I'll admit, I'm a little concerned because I know he ended more ground ball double plays last year. You know, he might be turning it, turning it over a lot more. I don't know why he's doing that. Is it a health thing? Uh, is, it, is, is it just an age thing? I really don't know. But, you know, typically these guys, even when they grow older, they don't lose their skills unless there's something else you know you've seen this before too with you know say for instance you know lance berkman when he's trying to play hurt he wasn't nearly the same player same thing some of these other guys i I, sometimes the calculations these guys don't lose their skills necessarily they just get affected more by injuries uh both in just how they perform and how long it takes to come back from so that's that's kind of the takeaway from that sometimes so in the case you know i I try to look for indicators where possible sometimes you just have to take it uh, like in the case of cano i just I kind of just chalk it out, you know, write it off as just a slump. And, you know, if this happened in July, we'd be bothered by it, but we wouldn't be sending alarm bells.
0: Yeah, that's all certainly true. But at at some point, don't you have to start looking at various guys? And as you said before, you have to start making um, decisions about how you're going to play these guys, and I'm wondering: Do you trust an accomplished player, an established player, to continue a hot start or recover from a cold one more than you look at a Matt Carpenter who comes out of nowhere, a, a left field, sort of almost literally, and and does real well at the start of a season, and say, I don't trust Matt Carpenter as much as I trust Michael Young, who's hitting three eighty-five or whatever he's hitting. Right. Of
5: course, uh, I think that's a natural calculation. Yeah. I, I, of course. I, of course, I'm going to trust that Cano's going to snap out of it. Of course. You know, and of course Michael Young's not going to hit 385, but, you know, he, he's also pretty much established that he's a high-average hitter with a high-at-bat high-average hitter. That's why you acquired him in the first place. You know, he's going to, and he'll have some slump at some point, and we'll talk about it, but, you know, it, it'll have a leveling effect at some point in time. Yeah, you know, just got to remember, we're still three weeks into the season, three three weeks and change right now. So, you know, it, it's really, you know, there's, you know, the streaks and slumps with established players. I'm not really trying to divine too much unless, there's something like a pitcher that's lost a lot of velocity on his fastball. And I know one of the guys on our list that we're going to talk about later is Tim Lincecum. Yeah, now, that's the guy I'm watching his start every single one of his starts closer now because of his start and because of there's a reason. And you have to wonder, why is he throwing less hard? You know, that that's the sort of thing that I'm trying to watch for more.
0: Well, I know the reason, and it's because I drafted him internationally going There you go. Yeah. There yeah. you yeah,
5: go, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's the Steve Moyer reason, of course. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think that, uh, yeah, we, we all have that sort of complex, too. But uh, I, I do think that you know, the established players are going to find a level for the most part unless there's injury. Of course there's going to be guys that just have these awful seasons and we, we struggle to find reasons why. Usually we the ex post facto, too. I mean, sometimes we find out after the fact, are oh, the guys going through a divorce or maybe they want to attribute it to that. Some, and, you know, I don't know how, like, things – and a player's psyche are going to affect them. Sometimes it motivates them, sometimes it drags them down, and I think anybody who thinks that they know better is just pretending. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not a psychologist, and, and unless you really are trained to kind of figure those things out, I think we try to attribute meaning where there isn't sometimes. I mean, it's, our brain is you know, kind of wired that We want to find meaning in, the, uh, in everything. We want to find patterns. Sometimes they're just not there.
0: We've, all, uh, we've also had the fun job in the past of being on the Facts or Flukes panel at First Pitch Arizona, which you mentioned. You've been a panelist on there. So let's take a look at some of the odd starts this season. Jake Peavy of the White Sox is leading all fantasy pitchers, 188-073, and Kyle Loesch isn't that far behind, a, a few less strikeouts, but a ERA and WHIP both well under one. Are these facts or flukes? Well,
5: let's take them individually. Uh, let's start with Jake Peavy. You know, he kind of fits under the whole Lance Berkman, Carlos Beltran, Really skilled player hasn't been healthy lately, and it's really affected him. Now he's healthy, and he's demonstrating those skills. Now we'll see how long he can stay, you know, unblemished. How long he can stay healthy. And I also want to kind of wonder what happens to him when the weather heats up in Chicago. That becomes a completely different ballpark. But uh, I would say there's—I mean, he's not going to have a, a .99 ERA and .76 WHIP. Or I might have them flipped, but you know, he's not going to have crazy good numbers like that. But uh, at the same time, he's a very skilled pitcher. Uh, and I, I wish I had him in more leagues. I don't have him on one, uh, but and he was he one of those extreme last-year bums type, type of guys to invest in. Uh, Kyle Loesch, on the other hand you know he kind of did this last year too in April and he kind of sits this one uh, uh class of pictures I have you know been thinking about a little bit more Bill James wrote an essay a long time ago um I forget it was it was in one of his old abstracts I want to say it was 87 maybe it was 86 uh Joe Altabelli, when he was the manager of the Orioles one year re-engineered his starting rotation so Scott McGregor would pitch fewer starts and Storm Davis would pitch more often cuz under and the the theory was that hitters don't like facing hard throwers especially when it's cold out but as he did the research it turned out and as James did the research it turned out that really the opposite was true that hard throwers really struggle in April sometimes more with command sometimes more with just getting their full velocity and meanwhile these soft tossers I don't want to say necessarily soft tossers but finesse pitchers not non-power pitchers you know, they actually do better uh, at the beginning of the season for whatever reason and That kind of fits. Kyle Roche kind of fits that little outer group of pitchers sometimes, and you know, you know, one of the guys that always used to do well in April was Tom Glavine. Now he's an extreme example. You know, we can't always say all Tom Glav. You know, Tom Glavine was just an amazing pitcher anyhow. But it was. If you look, you go back. You look at some of these other pitchers. You look at some of the guys that are doing well so far. Frequently, uh, it's you know they get their command earlier. You know, Bronson Arroyo is another one that's had some good Aprils. Not last year when he was dealing with uh, the illness. But in previous years, he's had some good Aprils. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see that sometimes.
0: you Darvish looked really good against the Yankees earlier this week and in his previous start against the Tigers, but he started poorly against weak opponents in Minnesota and Seattle. Which is the real you Darvish, do you think?
5: I think it's closer to the uh, last start version. I, I've i been telling everybody, I want I wanted, I want shares in Darvish. I didn't get him at the draft table anywhere. You know, there's always seemed to be that one guy that always liked him just as much, if not more than me. But... I I think he's different than the mold of the average Japanese pitcher. Once again, there's no such thing as an average Japanese pitcher. I think that's one of the things that we have to remember. Again, going back to the idea that we try to group guys and we try to typecast them all. I think the the lessons of, you know, what we saw from Daisuke scares some people there that, oh, we don't want to overhype Darvish because, you know, what happened to Daisuke? Well, you know, he's a completely different pitcher. He throws harder. He's a bigger guy. Uh, His numbers are even crazier, you know, crazy good, crazy better than in Japan than uh, uh, Daisuke's were or anybody else that's come over. I think one of the things about uh, Darvish, too, though, that I'm noticing is the umpire matters a lot with him. He has such a wide repertoire of pitches. He, it, a lot of times, you know, whether he gets those marginal calls or not makes a big difference with him. And I think starting off on strike one for him matters so, so much because uh, it sets up his entire repertoire of pitches. It's something I want to watch for though, a little bit there as the season goes on. Is there a confidence issue, too, about him being able to attack the strike zone a little bit better? He was so aggressive against the Yankees throwing strike one. It made a big difference in that outing. I, you know, Sometimes maybe that's all it takes for him to get on a roll. I'm, he's a guy I'm really going to watch carefully. I, I'm rooting for him. I'll probably try to trade for him in some leagues. And I know I'll probably get a couple of offers because of that from people that own him in the leagues I'm in with now, now that I've said this. But I want him somewhere. And I, I've tried to trade for him in a couple of leagues already, haven't been able to. But he's a, he's a guy that uh, I'm a believer in.
0: It's interesting that you say he's not a typical Japanese pitcher because there's no such thing uh, as a typical Japanese pitcher, and that's a point well made, and people should really keep that in mind. It's like saying all left-handers are finesse pitchers and all – all left-handed hitters like the ball down and in, you know. I mean, most of them do, or a lot of them do, but, boy, you really are setting yourself up for a problem when you start applying these patterns that are anecdotal rather than proved. Uh, you mentioned Tim Lincecum earlier. Velocity clearly appears to be down. His control uh, clearly appears to be worse than it ever has been. He's uh, over 8 for an ERA, almost a 2 for a whip. Is this a factor or a fluke, or is it too early to say?
5: I am leaning closer to too early. I watched a lot of his last start on Monday against the Mets and he was really hitting 91-92 consistently uh, with his fastball. He wasn't dipping into the 80s as often, so I think there's something promising about that. Uh, Yeah, the command was still bad, but he took 105 pitches to get through five innings. That bothers me. Uh, The fact that he was limiting his repertoire earlier in the season, you know, talked about how he kind of jumped his slider early on, but he was reintroducing it. There's some concern whether it hurts his elbow to throw that slider and that's You know, when you you know that you've got one less pitch to face and the fastball isn't as potent as it used to be, well, he's going to make him a little bit more hittable. But then again, he's also had a start at Arizona. He's had a start at, at Coors Field when he hasn't had his full fastball. And, you know, going back to the idea that he's been a bit of a power pitcher in the past, power pitchers start slower. You know, I'm willing to kind of give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt because he is such a skilled pitcher. So I, I probably would actually try to trade for him right now. It's risky, but you know you're not going. You can't wait until he has that start where he's got all his command back. That's that's the one thing about uh, buy low, sell high. Everyone says to do it, but you really have to, to buy low. You really have to buy it as low. Well. So you have to kind of take a leap of faith. You have to wonder is that velocity going to come back? Is he healthy? Is he hurt or not? Uh, and you have to do it before he has that first good start. You can't say, well, let's wait and see if he comes around, and then try to trade for him. Then. The whole point is gone. Then you're not going to get them at the price that you want. You're not, and maybe you pay full price and that's worth it for you, but at the same time, you're not going to get the bargains that you want if you wait till the guy shows the signs first.
0: Yeah, it's like uh, investing in Apple after the I- first iPod comes out is not as uh, profitable as in inv- investing when they were uh, on the ropes and <laughs> seemed to be falling apart. Uh, one last question about pitchers, Jeff. We've seen a few injuries and some meltdowns among closers already. Do you think there are other closers who might be in trouble? And how do you pick and choose which successors or potential successors to invest in? You,
5: well, first of all, you pay attention to how they're getting used. Uh, you notice like who's pitching the eighth inning. A lot of times that matters. And, you know, unless it's a uh, manager like Gary Johnson who comes out and says, "I want Tyler Clippert in that eighth inning." Uh, so you pay attention to usage because sometimes we want to we want to buy into the skill set. We want to buy into the numbers, but. Three weeks into the season, the numbers are kind of a bit of a, of a facade anyhow. Um, if, if that manager says he wants to give another person, you know, opportunity is the first key, I think, unfortunately. It's not always the skill. Maybe later on, if you're kind of investing for the long run, you know, maybe you can find that skill set. You look at previous seasons, you look to see if that happens. But how many times have we seen, like, these great closes in waiting that never get the job? I mean, I, I think you also just you throw as many darts at the wall as you can and, you know, see uh, which hits the target. Uh, you, you've got... <laughs> I, I think you've got to be a little non-discriminatory sometimes. Uh, not wait for the job to happen, of course. You want to try to go out and invest while you can. You look at the, the, the current incumbent closer's job security. Is it a guy like Heath Bell who just signed a three-year deal and has a long history of closing? Or are you going to be looking at trying to invest in a guy who's a newly minted closer and has a little bit less job security? I mean, that's important, too. You, know, you look at, pay attention to the manager's history. Is it is a guy like Charlie Manuel who that rode through a full season of Pratt-Lidge having a 7-plus ERA to keep him the closer job all year long. If that's the case, if you find managers like that, well, then you're less less inclined to invest in the guy's replacement.
0: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio with Patrick David and Jeff Erickson of RotoWire and Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Uh, Jeff, the most valuable hitter by far so far this year has been last year's most valuable hitter as well, Matt Kemp. Back up again, over $50 worth. He's on a... 80 home run pace, something like that. He's batting 450. Uh, Something's going to slow down, but the question that's been popping up in a few forums is, is Matt Kemp the kind of guy you want to think about selling high? You know,
5: he's had one bad year in his career, and it happened to be a high-profile bad year in in 2010. But, you know, know, if you can sell high, if you can sell ridiculously high, of course you, you should. But I don't think it's a case, you know, I think some people want to be too savvy for their own good sometimes uh, you know the fact is you know no one wants to pay for the, a guy's career year you' know, pay price full price for a guy's past career year it's a kind of a good maximum, it's, it's true but at the same time why not why can't Matt Kemp hit 40 homers again why can't you know why can't he see a 20 plus one basis you know I know it's kind of far school because he came out this offseason and said he wanted to go 5050 and that's not you know like ah yeah whatever that's not going to happen. But why, why can't he be a steady productive, you know, why can't he be one of the elite two or three hitters in the game? I don't see a reason why not. He's at the right age. Uh, he's got the skill set. It's not like this is a total fluke in terms of like, you know, yeah you know, Brady Anderson, one year blip on the radar. No, I mean, he's, it's an emerging skill set that's got improved over the time. You know, maybe he will have, you know, I know, like we thought like Jose Bautista, coming into the approach with him last year. Well, the idea was, Oh, yeah, everyone, you know, he's going to regress for sure, but how much is he going to regress? No one ever thought that he could get better. And for a half a season last year, he was actually better. I mean, he's a more disciplined hitter. He's hitting for a better average. And the second half wasn't nearly as strong in, this, in terms of that. But I think now everybody buys in that Jose Bautista is legit. What if, what's the same truth, true of Matt Kemp? Maybe, you know, he's one of the top three players in the game and he's going to be that way for the next five years. Why isn't that possible?
0: Derek Jeter's uh, among the league leaders in batting average. He's still hitting over 400. He's third overall in uh, total bases. He's having a terrific year so far, been a $30 player. Uh, How likely is that to continue, and is this a sell-high candidate? Yeah, of course he's a
5: sell-high candidate, especially at his age. Uh, if you can do it, if you, you know, you probably can tell Iron Jeter just because of his history of his career, because of his scarce position, because, you know, he's a, you know, a public team like the Yankees too, that certainly is going to buy, feed in a little bit more. The idea that he's going to score so many runs batting at the top of that order. It, it is worth noting though, ever since he did get that 3,000th hit last year, what a different player he was over the second half last year compared to the first half. It might have been that he's finally healthy. You know, he's, look at, his, if you look at his player log of the last two years, you can t- look at all the nagging injuries he's dealt with too. A lot of times these older players, it's not a diminishing skill, it's a diminishing ability to stay healthy. Uh, he's healthy right now, but he probably won't stay healthy all year. So, from that standpoint, that's where the decline's gonna come is when he first, you know, he gets that first, you know, sore knee or he gets that first, uh, bad elbow or something like that. That's when you're gonna see that decline. So yeah, I would try to so high if you can. You might not be able to do it, get, Another shortstop. You're not going to trade, no one's going to trade Troy Tularewski for him, but you might be able to get a $25 player for the $20 that you spent on uh, Jeter if you're in a only league, for instance.
0: assess but as a lot of people didn't know quite what to make of him. Uh, so far, so good. Five homers, four bags. He's got 18 RBIs, and he's hitting around 270, which I think is probably 20 or 30 points higher than a lot of people expected because he strikes out so much. Uh, how would you play uh, this guy? I'd I play him,
5: you know, like a emerging Sammy Sosa before the story there. I mean, I think he'd 40 homers as possible. To, I think 220 strikeouts as possible. I think he could, you know, at one year there's going to be a 230-year. He might, at the upper end, end of his range, might hit 270, 275. But I'd probably try to sell him. I think, you know, once I, I can't imagine anyone throwing a, a fastball in the zone to him if, if possible. He's not wonky. He does not like to take pitches at all. So, I think you're gonna see some of a backslide in terms of uh, batting average. I mean, the power, you make a mistake, you lose something, you know, a hanger in there, he's gonna make it, he's gonna hurt you with that mistake. I mean, the, the power skills are legit. He's a strong dude. I just don't think he has that great play discipline. I think that's exploitable still.
0: Yeah, sooner or later, second time through the league, I wonder, is going to be really telling for Ioannis Cespedes when the pitchers start to get better, a better book on him and they start realizing how they can get him out. And as you said, somebody gets the word out, don't throw this guy fastballs because he can really hit them. You know?
5: It's like that old Cheers episode. Do not say coaches to this dog. Do not throw fastball to this hitter. I
0: mean, you just don't do it. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. Uh, what about uh, Gerardo Parra in Arizona? Kind of backed into some playing time with injuries, and he seems to be making the most of a, of a... What would have been a limited opportunity, he's got five bags so far, a couple of homers hitting around 250, which I think is below what we'd expect. Is Gerardo Parra playing himself into a lot of playing time? Well, it's kind of foreseeable. I mean, let's face
5: it, Jason Cooper's not, Kubel's not exactly an Ironman out there. Uh, and I'll give you one other path which could happen and t- possibly too, is uh, when Chris Young comes back, don't be surprised if, you know, they have, say to Cooper, hey, try this first baseman's mitt, maybe keep you healthier here. Paul Goldschmidt's off to such a bad start, and there's a lot of concern about Goldschmidt getting sent down at some point. So you can see Parr getting some, uh, playing, some run in the outfield that way also. He's a good defender. He showed some good batting eye skills last year. Now, granted, he was batting ace, so you know, his walk rate's artificially inflated a little bit in the National League. But uh, you know, and he's at an age there, again, where there's some possible room for growth. You know, he's nobody's idea of a $20 player, but you know, he, could good, he could be a good $15 player at a cost of you know, 7 to 8 You could double your investment off of him pretty easily. I could see, I could see that scenario happening.
0: Uh, Corey Schmidt of MLB.com got some laughs at Tout Wars Mixed by being very aggressive, uh, almost comically so, about Edwin Encarnacion of the Jays. And so far, Corey's getting the last laugh, I guess you could say. Four homers, 13 RBIs, even three bags. He's up around 280. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion has been a favorite of analysts for a long time is this his breakout year
5: i hope so i'm 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 on team at e5 also there you know it's a shame that you know, his defense is going to the only problem is his defense is always going to cost him shots at playing time he can you know he can never really play third base anymore uh this is the last year he'll qualify there so that's kind of a problem but you know for, if you're in a redraft like, yeah i mean i think he's probably going to be a batting average risk here and there don't be surprised if you see him dropping in the 260s, but the power is obviously legit. We've seen it time and time again with him. It's a question of, you know, playing time and health. Again, if he can stay healthy and, you know, being the DH helps him with that a little bit. You know, he's going to, he, he's a 25-homer candidate. Uh, there's no there's no doubting that the power is legit, and he's in a pretty good lineup, too. The bags are a nice little bonus. that I didn't expect those to come, but, you know, he's not a bad athlete. He's just not a good defensive player. I mean, I, you know, I, I thought he kind of got run out of town with the Reds. I wasn't thrilled with the trade at the time, actually. Uh, I kind of wish they would have held on to him. But, uh, you know what, that water under the bridge now, I'm kind of rooting for the guy. I thought he kind of got run out of town, so I want him to be able to do well. The funny thing is, you know, the Jays gave up on him, too. They designated him. Remember, he went through that claim and reclaim uh, period there after the first year he was there, and, you know, they kind of lucked into him st- coming back with the team in a way
0: yonder Alonso has been a disappointment i'm sure to san diego fans who bade goodbye to matt latos and saw this guy come in to play first base no homers just three rbis i mean it's a team stat to some extent but gosh he's he's got seven doubles and that's about it he's barely he just climbed up over 200 uh, i think in the last 10 days or so uh, yonder Alonso is starting to look like maybe not what do you think you
5: know it's uh he's had four of those doubles this week if i'm not mistaken uh he- Never gonna be a big power hitter in PETCO and he, honestly, he wasn't much of a power hitter even in the minors. You know, it's the sort of thing where he, you, know, you see a guy that can grow into his power. Uh, he's gonna be a better hitter for average than he is right now. I, I'm, yeah, I think it's a question of expectation. What do you expect to get out of him? If you're expecting 30 home runs, that may never happen. But he could be one of those guys that hits 15 homers and 40 doubles and hit for a decent average. And I could see that happening still. Uh, just, Keep in mind it's uh, we're dealing with a small sample size coming in. We're talking about three weeks into this season. Uh, I, I give
0: them time. Okay, Jeff, thanks very much for doing this. It's, uh, it's been a great talk, uh, full of information as always. Before we let you go, tell our listeners how they can catch up with uh, your website and also what times of day and what days of the week you are on the SiriusXM radio platform with one of the best fantasy radio shows I think that there is out there.
5: Well, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, RotoWire.com, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E.com. com. If you're not already, uh, subscribed to RotoWire, uh, you can get us a couple different ways. One, if you're part of Rotopass, there's a deal that you can get HQ and RotoWire together. Uh, otherwise, if you want to check us out if you want to give it, give it a trial, go to RotoWire.com slash free. Get a 10 day, free 10 day trial. Check out everything we have to offer from a breaking news, or Ask the Expert service, uh, uh Countless articles that go up on the site, the projected starters grid, all sorts of uh, utilities for you there to help you try to manage your team. Uh, as far as the show goes, uh, we're on from 11 to 2, Monday through Friday. I'm personally on Monday through Wednesdays, usually. Occasionally, I submit on a Thursday and Friday as well. Uh, and it's Eastern time, 11 to 2 Eastern, Monday through Friday, on uh, Sirius uh, 210XM87. And I'm also on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N.
0: A man of all media. Jeff, thanks very much for doing this. Say hi to Chris Liss for me. Well, do Patrick? Thanks for having me on. All right. That's Jeff Erickson of rotowire.com and Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Our regular weekly commentaries are next. You are listening to Baseball HQ Radio.
5: The Bits.
0: Right field and deep. Way back. Going, 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 Another home run for Reggie Jackson. And the Yankees lead 7-3. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. We have Matt Beagle on deck with his market pulse. BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler is in the hole with master notes. And leading off the minor league minute, BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon telling us about Miami right-handed pitching prospect Jose Fernandez. The Miami Marlins'
4: Jose Fernandez is already showing the plus raw stuff that had scouts raving about his potential. The 19-year-old Fernandez features a 90- to 95-mile-an-hour fastball that has good late sink and tops out at 97. He also throws a late-breaking slider, a curveball, and a changeup that needs some work but does have potential. At 6'3", 215 pounds, he has an ideal pitching frame and is already physically mature. That early maturity doesn't leave him with a ton of projection, but it does mean he could move up quickly. It was that combination of size and advanced stuff that led the Marlins to make him the 14th overall pick in the 2011 draft. The Marlins were fairly aggressive with Fernandez by starting him at low A in the South Atlantic League instead of in short season or instructional ball, as they would with most high school hurlers. So far, Fernandez has been more than up to the challenge. After four starts, Fernandez is 2-0 with a 1.57 ERA with eight walks and 33 strikeouts in 23 innings pitched. The Marlins will almost certainly advance Fernandez one step at a time, so he might not make his major league debut until late 2014 at the earliest. But for those in deep keeper league, Jose Fernandez is definitely worth a roster spot. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ minor league analyst Rob Gordon.
0: Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, and Colby Garropy have reports and updates on organizational moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. Jeremy's call-up reports this week have looked at Oakland right-handed starting pitcher Gerard Parker, Cincinnati right-handed reliever J.J. Hoover, and Boston first baseman Lars Anderson, among many others. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, then BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now, the Market Pulse with BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle talking this week about looking forward, not back.
2: Would you trade Matt Kemp for Robinson Cano? Of course not. Look at Matt Kemp in April, 10 home runs, Cano's struggling. Why would you even consider it? And you shoot back an email saying, you jerk, what a horrible, lopsided offer. But if you do that, you're looking at the past, not the future. You're living in the dreamland that Matt Kemp's going to hit 10 home runs every month because he led you to first place and you're going to overvalue him just like the other manager does. In fact, right now is probably the best time to trade Matt Kemp because someone else is going to be taking his stats, multiplying them by 6, and thinking he's going to have this incredible year. Instead, you need to focus on your projections now, understanding that a Robinson Cano or Albert Pujols, while they struggled in April, they're very consistent, reliable performers, and they're very likely to have a great season from here on out, whereas Matt Kemp is obviously going to struggle at some time. He's not going to keep up these kinds of numbers throughout the entire year. It doesn't mean that Kemp is necessarily worse than those players. It's just that we all, in human nature, tend to overvalue our dreams of what they might do And when we have that reality that's carried us into first place, that reinforces those dreams. Instead, we need to focus on the realities of what's really going to happen the rest of the season. that's hard to do when we only have one month to look at, and that is the current reality. We need to look into our crystal ball, into our projection system, and understand what the most likely scenario is from here on out. Not what already happened. By looking back into the past, it's going to hinder you in trade talks to maximize your future. Remember the old Boston song, Don't Look Back. Instead, look at what's really going to happen the rest of the season when looking at your trade options. For Baseball HQ and HQ Radio, I'm Matt Beagle with the Market Pulse.
0: Matt Beagle's columns on a variety of fantasy baseball topics appear regularly at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's Master Notes, with BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talking this week about making the trade process more efficient in just five to ten minutes.
3: When it comes to trading, we are incredibly lazy. This past week I received an email from an owner in one of my leagues that said simply, anyone have a third baseman they could spare? My initial response, which I didn't write, I just thought, was, you've got a lot of freaking nerve making me work for you. Maybe I have a third baseman I could spare, maybe I don't. But what's my incentive to even look? because I'm a nice guy? If you are ahead of me in the standings, I'm really not feeling all too nice right now. Ordinarily I just click delete, but I knew that some other owner would take the bait take the time to do the work that this original owner should have done in the first place. He'll look at his roster, determining his needs, and check over the other owners roster to see if there was a fit. This is something the original owner should have done before even sending his email. I know my team. I responded simply, I need an outfielder. If you have one to spare, we can talk. And so the trade negotiation inched along. I've discovered that it really doesn't take that much more effort to make this process a bit more efficient. In the past, I'd advise that you have to do an in-depth analysis of your own team. Then you'd have to go through all the rosters in your league, assessing each team's strengths and weaknesses, and then look for areas where there is a match. While this is the most effective means to construct a trade proposal, nobody has the time to do this, especially those who are in 37 different leagues. There are shortcuts. The quickest one starts by taking a cursory glance at your own team. What do you need? What can you spare? Make a quick list. Now go to the page on your commissioner website that lists all the league rosters together. You are first going to look for those teams that have a need that you can fill. If you have a third baseman to spare, quickly scan the lines for third baseman and corner infielders and UT guys and see which teams have weaknesses there. Make a short list. If you're looking for specific skills, it may take a little longer, but by this time you should know that Cameron Mabin provides speed and Jose Bautista provides power. Then, starting with your shortlist, see which of those teams could spare the commodity that you need. You might end up with one or two teams that are prime trade partners. Now, You're not looking for precision in this process, you're just looking for a starting point for discussion, a springboard to a potential negotiation. Now instead of spamming your league, you can open up a conversation just with those owners where there could be a fit. Your opening salvo should address their needs first because your goal is to get them to want to talk to you and your needs are irrelevant to them. Once you get them to talk, then you can ask for what you need. This initial prep seriously takes five to ten minutes tops and lops off hours of excessive email response time particularly with owners who are not good matches and will probably respond just to try to rip you off anyway. People in trading leagues complain about the process, but mostly it's because they don't spend the nominal amount of time to do it right. Five to ten minutes, really. That's all it takes. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler.
0: Ron Chandler writes a weekly column every Friday on BaseballHQ.com. This week, Ron writes about a fanalytic look at the new Marlins ballpark. Ron also has a weekly chat every Wednesday morning at 11 Eastern at usatoday.com, and he discusses his columns and other topics in the subscriber forums at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Ron's Master Notes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. You can just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, Ron also brings his Master Notes here to Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of April the 28th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 15 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio, and do take a second to go over to iTunes and rate the show. We could use some five-star ratings. I also want to thank our guest today, starting with Jeff Erickson of rotowire.com, one of the hardest working guys in the fantasy baseball business, and always a pleasure to talk with. Also, thanks to our regular lineup from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch analysts were Harold Nichols and columnist Matt Beagle, who was also our Market Pulse commentator this week. Our minor league analyst was Rob Gordon and our Master Notes commentator, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler. We have some really great features this week at BaseballHQ.com, Relief pitching columnist Doug Dennis has a review of BaseballHQ.com's terrific bullpen charts. Joshua Weller has a research piece on recency bias and how it affects your decision-making. And Rick Wilton, Dr. HQ, looks at Michael Pineda and Carl Crawford. Plus, we have our regular features on playing time, facts and flukes, buyer's guides, and much more. I'm Patrick Davitt. My batting buyer's guide appears every Tuesday. This week, I wrote about batters with fast batting average starts. And I'll have a research essay on the site this week as well about the wide variation in batting average and home run rates even for long-established star producers. In the meantime, I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed, at Baseball HQ. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is available as a free podcast through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from baseballhq.com/radio, where we have a complete archive of past editions as well. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of Fantasy Sports Ventures. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the individuals speaking and not necessarily those of Fantasy Sports Ventures.